You're listening to the free preview episode of On Grief, a podcast about death by Karen Geyer. To unlock the full episodes, please visit patreon.com forward slash on grief pod. Memberships start at just $2 a month. This is On Grief, a podcast about death. Episode 11, Funerary Traditions. contact a lot of us have with funerary traditions is through popular media, there is a sameness to the expectation of what happens during a burial ritual. Today, I wanted to talk to some experts about funerary traditions that you may not be aware of, simply because they exist outside of what you've seen on film and television. So today, we're going to be speaking to Rabbi Andy Kahn about what the Jewish tradition is, and we're going to be speaking to a woman named Khadijah about the Islamic tradition, and finally, we'll be talking to a man named David Cunyon about a very American tradition, specifically an African-American tradition called the Jazz Funeral. While there are lots of portrayals of other parts of Jewish life, there are very few portrayals in the media on Jewish death. So here to explain what happens at a Jewish funeral is Rabbi Andy Kahn. Welcome, Rabbi Kahn. Walk us through what happens from after a person has been declared deceased. What I'm speaking of primarily comes from the Ashkenazi tradition that I was raised in. Um, and there, there's probably a lot else out there that I just don't even know about. But there's also, I mean, in my community... People are getting cremated with relative frequency these days. It's still evolving, and there are all of these taboos that people have picked up, probably just from pop culture, about what is and isn't allowed. Just like there's the, the old canard that if you have a tattoo, you'll, you won't be able to be buried in a Jewish cemetery. I have three tattoos. I'll probably be buried in a Jewish cemetery. It's fine. And there's this idea that Jews don't get cremated, which... There have been halakhic rulings, which means like Jewish legal rulings from even the conservative movement 
um, that Jews ought not to be. But as anyone that has ever studied Jewish history or knows anything about Jews, Jews are going to do whatever Jews want to do. So a lot of Jews do get cremated these days. Um, the tradition you're talking about is uh, called Tahara or Tahora, depending upon where you're from. We don't embalm our bodies. We will keep them cold and clean them in a ritual bath, which is similar to the ritual baths that are used for other transitionary moments in people's lives. Like people, it's called a mikvah, and people will um, go to the mikvah before they get married. I went to the mikvah before I was ordained. Um, in Orthodox um, customs, women go to the mikvah after their period every month. Um, and so it's it's a similar idea. It's It doesn't really fit within the contemporary scientific understanding of cleanliness because it's about spiritual cleansing as opposed to um, like medical cleansing, let me put it that way. Um, but it's really about showing the utmost respect for the body. I mean, anybody that knows anything about the process of dying knows that it's usually a little, a little visceral. And the idea is to make sure that when this body is buried, it has been showed with show the respect that any um, human being should be shown. It, the body is put into a, um, a mikvah, cleaned, and then wrapped. Um, and again, this is going to vary, but the most basic is just a, um, a shroud that they're wrapped in. Um, and traditionally, caskets are supposed to be entirely made of untreated um, cedar, and um, as plain as possible, and no metal is used in them. So they're they're put together with uh, wooden pegs, kind of like IKEA furniture, you know? Most of it has to do with the idea that everything needs to return to the earth, that everything needs to decompose, and the more quickly we can do that, the better in, in some instances. And I think there are holes in the bottom as well so that it can happen more quickly. A lot of people are familiar with the idea of a funeral director or, you know, the one place in town where you have funerals conducted. In the Jewish tradition, these are not commercial enterprises. Um, a lot of people are familiar with these funeral groups that are lay-led. So can you explain what those are? That was kind of the first way that Jews in America began organizing. If you go out to, to Queens in New York, the, the lines have gotten a little more blurry. But um, some of the first things that Jews that came over to New York did was purchase up land for burial and did it by place of origin. So like if you came from a certain town in Poland, you were part of this, this burial organization, Heber Kedisha, um, which just means holy group. If you just saw the name in New Hebrew, you wouldn't know that it had anything to do with burial. Um, like I was saying before, the process, the funeral rites and the process that leads to burial, um, even outside of the mourners, is one of the most important sets of mitzvot or kind of traditional Jewish practices in the entirety of the tradition. It's viewed as a uh, mitzvah that can never be repaid because for obvious reasons, the person's now dead, which makes it the, the, the highest honor you can do someone and therefore the most important thing you can do for someone. Hever Kadisha was once the, the group of volunteers who organized the community to kind of do this stuff in shift. 
it was primarily just lay led. It wasn't like you needed a rabbi or anyone to do it. It was just these practices passed down generationally of what you're supposed to do and how quickly you're supposed to do it. In fact, in order to do a full traditional burial, you don't need a rabbi. There's no necessary liturgy that a particular clergy person needs to be there to do. It can be a fully lay-led process, um, and, and often still is. The other thing that the Hever Kadisho does is um, organize someone. This doesn't happen in reform circles so much, but organize someone to sit with the body as it is waiting for burial. The body needs to be treated with the utmost respect, depending upon your your set of beliefs. There is a, a traditional belief that the, the spirit lingers around the body for, um, for a time, for about a week after the person has died. And the idea is to sit and make sure that there's no confusion for the spirit as to what's going on and that it's not, and that the body isn't alone. I would also argue that a few hundred years ago, sometimes you thought people were dead and they weren't. One of the things that person does is sit and read Psalms. So it's also, there's a certain level of piety to it so that um, the spirit or, or person or body or however you want to put it um, also knows that um, they're being cared for spiritually, not just someone sitting there reading the paper. It sounds like a meditative way to get in touch with your religion and to do a good deed for another person. Sure. Psalms are like this, are traditionally recited almost in the same way that you would do like a magical incantation or something, right? It's that you're, it's, it's these, these formulas that usher in a certain feeling for the person reciting them. So that's definitely true that um, it is a it is a, a, a spiritual practice of elevation. Absolutely. I think being in close proximity to a dead body as well um, while doing it, it is a, I mean, it's almost comparable. I, a woman just said this to me at, the, at a funeral I was conducting on Sunday, that it's almost comparable to a psychedelic experience. There's something so otherworldly about being near the dead body of someone you knew that was like moving around and like and especially if it was someone prominent in your life um and now there's just this body there i think the combination of those two things is probably a very powerful experience i mean they're also staying up all night doing this this is a round clock practice which is again a kind of like ascetic spiritual a piece of many ascetic spiritual Rituals that do give people a sense of elevation. So I, I think you hit something on the head there for sure. Talk to me about how a Jewish funeral service might differ from what we've seen on TV or from, you know, an Episcopal service. One of the things that is used to mark someone being in mourning is a rending of the clothing. It's kind of omnipresent when a character from one of our stories is in mourning, they, they rip their clothing. Today, what we do instead, we, we want to keep that ritual going, but, you know, people don't want to rip their clothing. We have ribbons that are on um, safety pins that people pin onto their clothes, and then they rip the ribbon. And this, this rending of the ribbon is actually a really kind of jarring ritual. It is that on purpose, because it's really the beginning of the mourning process. So it's a the ripping sound, especially when you're standing in a room full of people who are crying and upset and um, going through the, the the beginning stages of grief, really does help kind of open the door more fully to that grieving process. Traditionally, it's, it's done only by 
immediate family. So like spouse and children, I'm more liberal about that because I recognize that people's families often do not look like we would assume them to look. And I don't want to leave someone out just because they don't fit within a like, you know, traditionalist nuclear family structure. So I, I, I allow people who are, who are clearly grieving. And at this point, um, this is happening separate from whatever other group is there to attend the funeral. I bring in only the people that um, the family have identified as the like actual mourners. It's not done publicly. It's done privately. I would actually say they may not differ that greatly for many, many cultural reasons. One of which is that um, especially in reform tradition in the, in the tradition I'm a rabbi in, we have over the past few centuries formulated our ritual to match that of our neighbors for multiple reasons. One is that we wanted to fit in and be fully accepted in society. And two is that um, as Jews became more fully accepted in society, their framework for what ritual does look like is formed by the, um, the hegemonic culture, right? So they, they come to expect exactly what you're saying at their funerals. The last thing I want to do, other rabbis may have other, um, other priorities, is to take a moment of deep vulnerability for people and throw some like weird wrench in their gears as to what they're going to get ritually when they are in the process of mourning a loved one. So um, in many ways, the, the funerals I conduct may look quite a bit like a, a Protestant funeral, certainly not like a Catholic, may look a little bit like a Protestant funeral. Because of the homegrown nature of Jewish funeral practices, like I was saying before, it doesn't, it doesn't need a rabbi. It doesn't need a clergy person. It's really mostly just about getting the person in the ground in the most respectful way possible. There is no, there's nothing that's really set. One of my rabbinic mentors has said, if you give them Psalm 23 and the mourner's Kaddish, and I'll, I'll talk about that a little bit in a minute, everybody's going to be fine. There's not, there's not too much pomp and circumstance that's necessary. And some people do have a lot of pomp and circumstance. If you go to one of the major funerals that often take place at, in my synagogue, there's music and organ and a choir, and a, it's, it's a lot. But most of the time, it'll be a small ceremony with just whatever family and friends are around. Um, because, it, like you said, it happens pretty quickly. The, the funeral tends to happen within a, a couple days, depending upon you don't do a funeral on Shabbat, which is Friday night until Saturday night. So that can, make it, that can push it back a little bit. Or, God forbid, if someone dies near a major holiday, that can push it back a lot, too. Normally, it happens really quickly. There's very little set liturgy. I may read a couple psalms. I'll write a very a short eulogy, usually no more than a few minutes, in which I weave together this person's life, as I've heard from their family, Some, usually some character from Jewish tradition in comparison. And the family will usually speak. We'll do a couple, another psalm or a reading or something like that. Then El Malay Rachamim, which is a uh, really the funeral hymn par excellence for Jewish funerals is is chanted. Uh, if it's me doing it, I chant it. Um, there's very, it is not very often that I'm in, I'm chanting in front of people, other than at funerals or weddings. But it's one of the two things that I chant. Then. We head quickly to the cemetery as quickly as you can in New York. At the cemetery, one of the major rituals that I think is very particular to um, Jewish tradition is that all, especially family, then also I allow anyone there, uh, 
helps with the burial process. There's a mound of dirt there. There's a shovel there. And I um, show them how it is traditionally done because you do it with the back of the shovel to show that you are reluctant to be doing this. It's a, a, and so you make it harder for yourself as a, a symbolic act to show, like, I don't want to be burying this person, but I am as part of this set of rituals. And after the shoveling has taken place, I lead and the family says the mourner's Kaddish. So the mourner's Kaddish is a, um, I hesitate to call it a prayer because really all it is is proclaiming over in a whole bunch of different synonyms how great God is. It doesn't mention death at all. It's only about praising God and it is the only prayer said in, in our liturgy regularly that is in Aramaic, not in Hebrew, which I think also speaks to the more, it's often a lay-led process. Aramaic was the uh, lingua franca of the time of the Talmud and, and even prior to that, when Jewish rituals began getting canonized. So having it in Aramaic meant that it was more accessible to more people. To unlock the rest of this episode and to hear more episodes, visit patreon.com forward slash on grief pod.